and thanks for joining. We are not our secrets. This is season one, episode four. I'm JJ, aka Joyce Smith. I have a special guest today, Mrs. Dale. Hi, Mrs. Dale. Hi, JJ. How are you doing? Oh, well, um, doing all right, although this is a difficult topic. And uh, But yes, doing fine today. Mrs. Dale, it is a difficult topic, especially for those who have been abused. But society has deemed this topic taboo. And there is so much silence surrounding it. Guests like yourself, I so appreciate because you can stop this silence. I met Mrs. Dale in Twitter spaces. I have been so fortunate to meet so many lovely people from Twitter spaces. I love it. It's audio driven and we get to talk and chat and we've become very good friends. We plan on seeing each other, which is great. One day in our lives, uh, we're close to each other. So we're going to make that happen, right? Absolutely. Today's conversation will be driven by what Mrs. Dale wrote in my book. She was backing up some of the things we were discussing about our secrets. And I'm going to read that right now. She says, I retired after two decades from teaching college freshmen and sophomores, interpersonal communications. They journaled various topics, including abuse. Upon completing their responses, close to 70% of my students experienced abuse, ranging from sexual, physical, emotional, and neglect. I gave lectured segments on coping, recovering, and identifying signals. Therapists suggest always keeping art slash drawing supplies out for children. Their pictures can be helpful to identify early warning signs of abuse. The scale of abuse many have likened to an iceberg. The tiny percent above the water represents reported abuse. The 90% below the surface will remain unreported. This is a statement from Mrs. Dale and that's what we're going to be talking about today. My podcast is We Are Not Our Secrets. And I do want us not to be our secrets. And the only way we cannot be our secrets is by discussing them so that they are no longer hidden. Mrs. Dale, I'm so glad that you wrote the statement for my book to help me understand exactly how these secrets are affecting us. I am shocked that 90% remain unreported below the surface. So this is a large number. But before we get into that topic, I want to ask you a little bit about yourself. I know you were a college professor and you don't have to say where, but what was your uh, educational background? Well, I originally wanted to go into broadcast journalism, but then um, everything kept pulling me towards actually the very field that my mother was teaching. And my mother uh, was teaching at the same college that I uh, ended up teaching at. But it was uh, basic public speaking and interpersonal communication. And the interpersonal communication is what uh, the, the psychology and courses I took for that. It was absolutely um just was probably the reason I woke up in the morning. You know, I loved helping students learn how to give a speech, but it was much more 
I think, critical to, to deal with students who are dealing with interpersonal crises and how to cope. That's wonderful. So you've always been in a position of helping others, it seems, and you knew that was your uh, niche. Well, unless, you know, when I was a little girl, I tortured my older sister tremendously. But aside <laughs> from that, yes, I have been in that field, you know, all my life. And, 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 and I enjoyed every moment of it. It made me, it made me who I am today. I love it. I thank you for uh, giving me that background and decisions. You gotta make a choice. You gotta make decisions for the one that affects your life. We thank educators and we thank you for your contributions. Well, one thing about going back to our topic today, and that is the whole idea of secrecy. And you earlier mentioned the uh, 90% below water of an iceberg. And that is about often just shame, secrecy, and underreporting of all types of abuse. You know, just burying it inside because so many of my students uh, in the interpersonal classes, and we can go into more of that, but so many of them felt they were alone. They never felt strong enough to report it, to talk about it. They felt they were alone and they felt they would be considered, you know, tainted if they if they spoke of it. And that's what we mean about 10% gets reported and 90% is below the water. Wow. And what did they mean when they said tainted? They feel tainted. They felt, well, for any number of reasons, because of, let's say, sexual abuse, they felt they felt dirty and shamed and 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 sullied for any kind of perhaps healthy, normal, you know, love, sexual relationship in the future and lead to all types of, of side effects, you might call them, like even uh, being promiscuous as teens or adults or or drug abuse or cutting like self-cutting. I think just all types of things that they they felt that the abuse led to symptoms which made them feel even worse as humans and un, unattainable for, you know, true love, true, true affection, true respect. So the people who have been saying that incest or rape does not affect you, then that would be a wrong statement. Hugely. My interpersonal students kept journals and they kept journals for the class. But not just the journal, but they would stay after class or, you know, they would want to meet me before class and they would want to discuss things that because basically my my the way I approach this topic of abuse and this took the form of both sexual and physical and verbal, emotional. I included an entire segment in my course that other teachers weren't at the time because the book, you know, the book, you know, you have these college textbooks and they did not have it segment on this. And I made sure I included a complete segment of coping strategies. And then through their journals, through their conversations, and this is where I, I drew the 70, 70% mark that of both males and females had experienced really rather crippling, crippling experiences in all of these ranges of abuse. And you just don't look at a, you don't walk into a classroom and look around them and say, 70% of you have been just, just been horrifically treated until they actually tell you. And they tell, they tell, they told me, and it just broke my freaking heart. That does break your heart. What I will do is let you continue telling about your class. In my uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of students, I, I've never taken the time to count, you know, the exact count of all the ones I did over the decades. But um, in my uh, experience, um, 
most of them were at least 70% in their journal writings, seeking help or seeking uh, some type of uh, outreach from me before or after class. Um, at least 70% had experienced many degrees of, of sexual, physical, emotional, psychological uh, abuse. Of these, much of this went unreported or had just been buried or pushed down, you know, inside them. And no, and they had to wait till they were sophomores in college, I guess, before someone actually asked them or said, put something on paper or let something out. And this is a, a long time to wait. You know what? It is. It's a long time to wait. It's a long time for my book coming out. We are not our secrets. It's a long time because when I was a child, as I was telling everyone, children don't have voices. When we grew up, it said you're to be seen and not heard. That's how we grew up. I don't know how you grew up, but that was us as a child back in my time. I'm sure this passed down. Some parents still feel this way about children. There's no way that this was just released and not passed down, even today. And children were to be seen and not heard, but all the while we are being abused or we are being thrown into environments that we don't know how to control, but it has affected us throughout all of our lives. And for me, it was domestic violence. And I did not know how to have a voice as a child, but I knew everything that was going on, but I had no one to talk to about it. And like you said, so we hold in all of that and we couldn't deal with our emotions until sophomores in college. And that's why I was thinking, and I would like your answer to this or your your opinion on this. I am wanting and advocating for early childhood counseling. I think children need to be counseled earlier. But we certainly need to be looking for the warning signs. I, there would be some, perhaps, there would be some contingents out there who would say any kind of of uh, regular school advocacy of finding out if a child was being you know, abused could be construed as, I don't know, I'm sure you, any, you could think of, of parents who might think that that is uh, encouraging them to, I don't know, to act out or something. But uh, I do believe, and, and artwork is actually every, I think every parent should have art supplies in their children's bedroom and they can, they can draw things. You can, uh, psych psychologists will often tell you that the art is the first way to to determine if if a child is being either bullied at school or being or is frightened of a certain relative or and why are they frightened of that relative so artwork is a uh, is a at least a, a fundamental way to start this yes and, and to always save your children's artwork don't just toss it you know, just, you know, just kind of create file folders of it. And uh, because you never know when the actual symptoms will, w that the art will become helpful in, in determining maybe the symptom of the, of, of a possible abuse. Wonderful. So there are ways that can identify children that need the attention. Now, once that child gets that attention through artwork, and we say that there's a issue for example, what happens then some of the steps in, let's say, um, elementary, let's say third through the sixth grade, what would occur? Well, you would need counseling be, uh, for that 
child? Do you need counseling out, probably outside the school? Although there could be elements within school that need to be addressed. If, let's just say it, it could be any kind of bullying and bullying can go from physical to sexual in school. But uh, any kind of bullying, uh, you would want some type of counseling outside of the school system to, to help verify what, what is going on. And then you would bring that evidence back and address it or to the family because, you know, you don't know where this is happening. You know, it could be within the family. It could be the child terrified of a, of a stepfather. And stepchildren are actually, I, I believe, as I recall, 10 times more likely to be uh, abused. Uh, than, than natural children uh, by their step parent, often the stepfather, and sexually abused, uh, mentally challenged uh, children, at least three times as likely to be sexually abused by steps, uh, step parents. There are so many issues that need to be looked at. And that's another thing. This brings back also health care and mental care and the ability to afford counseling. So this is kind of a huge domino effect. Absolutely. And this is why I want to have early childhood counseling for children where all children can receive counseling. So then everybody is on the same playing field. It would be independent of school because teachers have enough on their plate, you know. And I think that if everyone got counseling, it would really help. Because the reason why I say everyone gets counseling, every child gets counseling, is because if you grew up in a household that was functioning at a higher level of addressing your emotional needs and giving the love that you needed, you would still, one day, you're in school, you're, you're in constant contact with others who are not in safe environments. Well, I think that everybody would benefit by just understanding each other. I think that society has put all of the attention on the methodologies and ideologies of the systems and protocols of building nations, they left off basic, simplistic, what are the emotional needs of people and what do we need as humans to give us the love that we need? Meaning many parents, at least when I grew up, I never got a, I love you. No one ever told me, my parents never said, I love you. If my parents never told me, then you know their parents never told them because it would be a habitual generational thing. Because it's quite easy to say, I love you. Uh, from talking with people, they said this was customary back in the day. I feel it's simplistic. The emotional needs of humankind and love was given. There would not be the abuse that we see today and the violence. There was a lot of fighting for my dad from the domestic violence that was extreme. But in other households that I've been talking with, their lives were not peachy either. That's why I feel that almost everyone has been affected by generational cultural abuses. These abuses have been passed down generationally because we're in a society that pushes us to reach the success mark, and that is attained through material things, through monetary things. And it's pretty much by any means necessary. And when you look around at our environments today, it's concerning because we have the massive gun violence here. There's got to be some emotion attached to us. We have to address our emotional needs. I think that children, like I said, all children receive counseling. It's not going to hurt 
because then they can learn how to deal with also students who are having issues. So it would be like counseling as an extra curriculum, even though it wouldn't be associated with the school, because I would like that these children to have safe spaces to communicate their feelings, you know? Absolutely. And I don't want it reported. I would like for it to be reported based on extreme cases. But this is a place where you actually can go in and discuss your emotional needs. That's for the children. On the other hand, I would like to give parents parenting classes because, and I just say like five or six classes, dealing directly with the abuses that you were talking about, emotional uh, neglect, sometimes they're emotional neglected by narcissistic parents. Then you have the physical violence, of course, domestic violence. Then you have the sexual abuse that's in some families and children are affected by those. And then you have the verbal abuse. Parents would be taught how to recognize what their backgrounds were. They could look at their backgrounds and resolve that. And then they could address their children's needs. Classes would be curtailed around letting them address their needs if they were neglected or abused, and then how to not carry that on to the child by just simplistic classes. And um, it would be simplistic language that they would learn to pass on to their children. And I think that that would help everyone. So I'm going to be trying to talk with people and get these basic concepts out because I think that it's been hidden and unaddressed for too long. And I think if we start the dialogues that we could take care of these issues. What do you think about some of that, what I just well, said? Well, as you were speaking, I was thinking of, of what, by the time that I get them, let's say I got them in, as, as they were 20-year-olds or 22-year-olds. But take a, like, take brother and sister in a, in a household that had a father who was um, maybe emotionally detached and also jealous, and there was violence in the home uh, against the mother who was persecuted. Okay, let's take Annie and uh, Jim. Annie and Jim, and then bring them up to my sophomore age. Okay. So Jim, and and this is another source of, of secret and shame is the patterning off the bad behavior that the, you, 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 you become what you've seen, you become what you've known. It's familiar to you. And Absolutely. Jim becomes uh, emotionally d- distant and becomes uh, jealous and and treats his girlfriends like that growing up and, and and he may not even like himself for it but it's what his dad did and Annie becomes uh, she grows up and she's dating and she lets guys tell her what to wear and when, who, who she was talking to and to shame her and to keep her unchecked and but but that's what she saw her mother do and mm-hmm. so even along the way even though they didn't like it at the time or they were horrified at it at the time, the brain takes this huge little tweak in its, in itself and says, but this was my, this was like mom, this was like dad. And it makes them, you know, it carries, like you say, the generational abuse, it carries it forward. And then by the time I get them at 20 or 22, they are already in the midst of these relationships. You know, uh, I had, in fact, at one time I had uh, um, many of my uh, female students were already in very uh, dangerous relationships. 
uh, one of them, I would walk out to the parking lot with them, particularly the ones I that had admitted that. And one time, um, one of their um, very hostile estranged was out there uh, yelling at me, yelling at her mm. uh, for what she's learning in my class, you know, and that I was the teacher who was trying to, to, to you know, rip her away. And so I got her in her car and I got in my car and nothing happened that night. But think about that was a few years ago. Think about how, you know, we could have all just been, you know, a crime scene, you know, at the end of that encounter. And but I I never let my 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 females go out unless I could keep an eye on them you know, to their cars because it was a night class. Excellent. Solidifies the fact that the earlier, the better, because when you can identify these behaviors, this is why I made the suggestion that parents could receive five or six classes to gear and direct them to things you just said to identify, oh, I'm following my parents. Well, think about this. Think about all the work and effort and time and training that goes into getting a driver's license. And to think about how none of that applies to becoming a parent. Uh, there are no books to study. Well, there's, there's no mandatory, you know, license. There's no, there's no follow-up. There's no, you know, checking up on you in, in years to come. It takes more effort. It takes more state and government concern about us getting a driver's license than uh, putting children out there and, and treating them God knows how, you know. Yes, Mrs. Dale, I have so enjoyed you today. You were a great asset to We Are Not Our Secrets podcast. I hope you will come back again and bless us with your knowledge. I would love to. And also, at maybe at another time, we can discuss why it became so important for me to, to do these special uh, segments in my um, college courses. Perfect. You have been listening to a podcast developed by my autobiography, We Are Not Our Secrets, set for release January 23rd, 2023. Thank you for listening and have a great day.